listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. I invite you to stand for the reading of Scripture from Revelation chapter 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, As their God, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light... Will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it? And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord. What lies at the end of your rainbow? About five minutes into The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy Gale is trying to get her aunt and her uncle, the farmhands, to listen to her troubles, her worries about her little dog and evil Miss Gulch, who's going to call the sheriff and have him taken away and destroyed. But they're all busy with just the realities of life, trying to count chicks and fix a broken wagon and and do stuff that needs to happen. and And there's a storm on the horizon. And finally, exasperated, Aunt Em tells her, Dorothy, why don't you just find yourself a place where you're not causing any trouble? And Dorothy wanders off, asking herself, a place where there isn't any trouble. I wonder if there is such a place. And that's the setup for one of the most famous songs of the 20th century. Somewhere over the rainbow, way up high, there's a land that I heard of once in a lullaby. A place where troubles melt like lemon drops way above the chimney tops. Way up high, somewhere over the rainbow, skies are blue, and the dreams that you dare to dream really do come true. In her monochrome world of Kansas, Dorothy longs to be transported to a place of beauty and peace and understanding and belonging and and happiness. What's at the end of your rainbow? What is it that your heart longs for? Maybe it's better to ask, what's at the end of God's rainbow? What is it that God is pointing us towards and promising? 
Because for many of us, at the end of our rainbow is, you know, the American dream. Maybe it used to be a two-story house and a white picket fence and a station wagon in the driveway and two or three cleanly scrubbed kids. Then at some point it kind of became, well, you know, maybe if I can make a killing in the stock market or in cryptocurrency, and then I can retire early. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's finding your soulmate, that person of your dreams, or having the job that you long for, or just the job that you don't hate, or the money to pay for college, or afford a house, or not worry about going bankrupt if you get sick because of medical bills. What lies at the end of your rainbow? What lies at the end of God's rainbow is what we really want to look at. Because knowing the end of the story shapes how we live in the middle. Knowing the end of the story shapes how we live in the middle. Because we all live based on what we think life is about, where we think life is heading. Maybe for some of us, we feel like life is a tragedy or a comedy, maybe a dark comedy. Maybe it's a drama. Maybe it's improv. We're just sort of making it up as we go along. But the Bible says we live in a story, and there is an author and a director. There is a plot, and there is someone who is bringing it to conclusion. There is a goal, and knowing the end shapes how we live in the middle. John's revelation tells us how God is going to bring to completion everything that he has promised to do how he's going to bring his people home to him, how he's going to redeem and restore everything that's been created. And Jesus Christ is the center of that story and the center of that plan. In chapters 19 and 20, we see Jesus appear as the victor, the conqueror on the white horse who finally destroys all of God's enemies and destroys sin and death and hell and brings his people home with him forever. In the last two chapters of the Bible, all of the threads of the story of the Bible come together. We started out this Advent series looking back in Genesis at the home that God created for us, a place where everything worked the way it was supposed to be, where we lived in peace with each other and with creation and with God. And and then we saw how we messed all that up. Our first parents turned away from God, rebelled against him, said, no, we'll go our own way, and we don't need to listen to you to figure out life. And ever since then, we've all lived, haven't we, with this sense of alienation, of wandering, of of homelessness, of longing for something that just seems out of our grasp. And last week, Pastor Joey showed us how God, in the person of Jesus, has come to open up the way back home to the Father, And we live now between Jesus' first and his second advent, waiting for Jesus to come and finish the work that he began in us. Because Jesus promised his followers as he was leaving them that he was going ahead to prepare a place for us and that he would come back and bring us to be with him. That's what our hearts long for. That's what you were made for. And that's what we want to know this morning is what is that going to be like? What will it look like? Because knowing the end of the story shapes how we live in the middle of it. So we want to look this morning at what it will be like when we are finally home. 
If you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. We started the story at the very beginning, and we're going to end at the very end. So that's on page 1233 in those black Bibles in the seats underneath you. You can pull it up in your uh, Bible app, whatever you use to access God's Word. What is it going to look like when we're finally home? And the first thing John says is, we will be home spiritually. We will be home spiritually. What is the greatest frustration of your life? For me, it's getting a new jar of peanut butter and tearing that lid off, and, and, and seven-eighths of it comes off, and then there's that little corner that stays on the edge, and all the peanut butter gets trapped. No, that's, that's a frustration. It's not the greatest frustration of my life. If we're really honest, we would probably say the greatest frustration in our lives is other people. Those people who don't do what they're supposed to be doing. They're not listening to us. They, they get it wrong. Why they're so difficult. Why do they have to make life so hard for me? If only they would. But for Jesus' followers, the greatest frustration of this life is us. Is what's inside of us. The sin that still remains in us and causes frustration and disappointment and struggle. The Apostle Paul pictures this in Romans 7 when he says, there's, there's this law in the members of my body that causes me to do what I don't want to do. The good that I would, I don't do that, and, and the wrong that I don't want to do, I end up doing that. We want to be holy, and, and we fall short of obeying and trusting God fully. We, we want to love, and we end up instead being selfish and impatient. We, we want to worship and we end up instead finding our hearts distracted by a hundred other things and, and we want to be at peace and instead we experience anxiety and conflict with people. Oh, there's progress as, as the Spirit helps us in our weakness, but what we long for is deliverance from the mess inside of us for the mess in our soul, in our spirit. And that's what God promises will be our reality when he brings us home. Look at verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And then jump down to, to the end of the section, Pastor Tom read, verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So what's going on here? This new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, that language of being a bride adorned for her husband should make us think back to all those stories, the pictures that Jesus told. The bride is the church of Christ, adorned, dressed, prepared, finally, finally ready and beautified and completed to meet her husband. When God brings us home to himself, the, the church, the people of God are finally prepared and ready and fit to be with God. I mean, that's, that's what John goes on to picture. You, you remember, if you know the story back in Exodus where Moses says, oh, let me see your glory. And God says, no one can see my glory and live. Why? Because we're sinful and God is holy. And so there had to be all these intermediaries and, and distance between us and God, but, but that doesn't exist anymore in the new heavens and the new earth. 
You see, we are at home with God and we are finally able to see His glory face to face. There's no sun to shine on the city because the glory of God is the light of the city and there's no temple. There's nothing we go through to get to God. We are dwelling immediately in His presence because, because we have been perfected and we have been finally, finally delivered ultimately from the sin that still clings to us. Oh, don't you long for the day when you will be so good and so whole and so pure that that you will be like a radiant gem reflecting the undiminished glory of God through your life. No impurity, no imperfections, no sin, nothing shameful, nothing to hide, nothing to be embarrassed about. That is what you will be in Christ when you are home. God will make us spiritually, morally perfect at home and right and beautiful for the marriage of the bride to the Son of God. We will be at home spiritually. And we will be at home in our bodies. We'll be at home in our bodies Our hope is not in a disembodied spiritual existence off somewhere, right? Like the the old Far Side cartoon, there's a guy in a robe sitting on a cloud with a harp, and he's off in heaven somewhere, and he's sitting there thinking, I wish I'd brought a magazine. Right? That is not the biblical picture of eternity. That's Plato. That's Greek philosophy that, that said, you know, the, the body is sort of a drag on the spirit and the goal is to transcend the body and, and just have this pure spiritual existence. No. The Bible teaches something very different. That when God created us, we were bodies and souls united together perfectly. And God is not going to let our bodies simply be destroyed and, and suffer corruption forever. The destiny of God's people is the renewal of our bodies, the restoration. Look in verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No more death, no more pain, no more tears What that means is that the body that we know now will be changed because this body cries and this body hurts and this body gets old and falls apart and this body decays and dies. But it's gone. Now, that maybe sounds like it's like Plato, but but it's not good riddance to the body. The, The point is that God will make us at home again in our bodies because the hope and the promise of the gospel is that just as Jesus was raised, we will be raised in new, incorruptible bodies, a body that will never die again, a body that still has eyes, but eyes that don't cry, that don't mourn anymore, eyes that don't grow old and dim, eyes that don't need glasses, bodies that work the way they were meant to, bodies that will think and speak and work and run and act the way it was intended. You know, a lot of us feel like maybe we didn't get a A fair shake when bodies were being handed out. Some people live with terrible deformities. Some people have missing limbs or can't see or can't hear or live with chronic pain or in the middle of fighting cancer or all kinds of diseases. 
Some of us struggle with the shame of having bodies that don't look like what society values. We will be at home one day in bodies that will be what they were meant to be, what we were meant to be. Glorified, perfected like Jesus. That is good news. And we will be at home in the world too. We'll be at home in the world because God is going to gloriously renew the created order. That's in verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and, and the sea was no more. Now, maybe you wonder why no more heaven? We understand the, the earth is broken and corrupt, but why heaven? Well, there was a rebellion in heaven at one point, and even it has been corrupted in some sense, even though it's the dwelling place of God's corruption. Why no more sea? Well, it, it could mean there's simply a new sea, or it could also be drawn in this Old Testament imagery of the sea as a, a place of chaotic power. Of, of violent forces that are opposed to God. It, it, it's the Old Testament Hebrew imagery of uh, uncontrollable disorder. And John is saying when he sees what our home will look like, all of that is gone. And, and whether we read this as a completely new earth or a renewed earth, the point is that the fallen creation will experience the wholeness that God originally intended. We will live in a world that reflects the glory and the beauty of God's perfection and purposes and goodness. No more pollution. No more destructive tornadoes that kill hundreds of people. No more diseases that wreck bodies. No more bloody, relentless struggle for survival because death itself will even be destroyed. You know, this hit me a while ago. In this life, for anything to live, something has to die. Whether it's plant or animal or microorganism, something has to die for something else to live. And God is saying, it will not be that way. Nothing will have to die anymore. Death itself will be destroyed. We will be at peace with the rest of creation forever. And we will be at home with others, finally. We'll be at home with others. God is going to redeem and restore all of our relationships, first of all, with him. We saw in verse 3 this amazing, loud proclamation, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now, if you like to write in your Bible or take notes, you could circle that phrase, the dwelling place of God is with man. There's a wonderful echo, a connection there. It's tabernacling. The same word, the same phrase that John uses in the intro to his gospel when he says, Jesus, the living word, became flesh and tabernacled, dwelt among us. And of course, it's pointing back to all that imagery in the Old Testament of God meeting with his people and living with them. Except now, there's no more physical tabernacle. God himself is the temple. He dwells directly with us. And oh, we long for that, because of course we can know God, and, and as we come to know him in Christ, his spirit comes to live in us and dwells with us, and yet at the same time, the apostle Paul says to be at home in the body, 
is to be absent from the Lord. And we long to be with him. And God says, one day that will be our reality. You will see me. I will dwell with you face to face. God himself is the ultimate end of all of our hearts longing and aching. When all the things that we look for in this life for satisfaction and joy, they're really just pointing us to God himself, the giver behind all of those gifts that we were made to know and to worship and to dwell with. Because one day, with pure hearts and glorified bodies in a renewed and restored creation, we will see our God. Imagine what that will be like. To to be like Adam and Eve walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. That's the future that God is restoring back to his relationship with his people. To simply exist in, in his love uninterrupted, unbroken, around us, surrounding us, filling us all the time. And we'll finally be at home with one another too, to live in unity and peace. Did you hear that in verse 24? The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night It will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. I love this. See, there's still going to be nations. There's still going to be culture. There's still going to be things that we are producing and and creating. There's still going to be differences between peoples and ethnos, but but there's no competition. There's no pride. There's no looking down on one another. The, The only competition, in a sense, is competing who can see who can make the most beautiful things for the glory of Christ and the joy of one another. We're we're going to be working and making things and and living in this world at peace with each other. And and the gates of the city are open because there's there's nothing to fear anymore. There's there's no more violence. There's no more destruction. There's nothing wrong, no danger, no threats. Imagine what that would be like. No no bad neighborhoods, no places where you don't want to go. Everywhere is safe because everyone is good and everyone is trustworthy. Finally, the Bible ends with the most amazing invitation and the most serious warning that you will ever hear. In verse 6, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God. He will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, that's me, that's you, that's all of us, by nature. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In the book of Genesis, an angel appears with a flashing sword to guard the way, to bar people from coming back into God's presence and eating from the tree of life. 
But now an angel stands at the gates, not to block entrance, but to provide a welcome for all who will come, for all who are thirsty. God says, I will give the water of life freely, without payment. Nothing that you can do to earn it. Nothing that you can do to deserve it. It's a gift that I will give to you. In verse 27, but nothing unclean will enter that city, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That means all who have put their trust in Jesus, all who are following him into life, all who have come to him by faith and received the gift of his life and his forgiveness. This is the home that God is inviting you into. The Spirit and the bride say, come. The bride is the people of God, the church, and on behalf of the people of God, I invite you to come. Come. God wants you to be a part of this. God made you for this. This is what your heart longs for. This is what God wants you to know now and forever, eternal life. The whole Bible is a story about how God has done what is needed to bring rebels and prodigals and homeless wanderers back to him. Come, don't stand at a distance. Because that's what Christmas is about. Not not a baby in a manger, but a baby in a manger who is the son of God who left this perfect home in heaven to be born in a cow stall. and live the perfect sinless life of obedience to God that we ought to, but we never do, and to die the death that we deserved on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we can have this life and come home. That's what Christmas is. That baby grows dies, rises again, and ascends back to the Father's right hand. He's at the throne of the Father and the Lamb. And He's inviting you to come. Because He is ruling and reigning. And He will return in glory to bring His people home. Oh, God wants you to be a part of that. God wants you to know that. We're not home yet. And when we realize that we're not going to be home until Jesus returns, it it does several things for us because knowing the end of the story changes. It shapes how we live in the middle. First, it gives us perspective. It gives us realism about the life that we live here. It, It protects us from both bitter cynicism and naive optimism. Did you know that violent crime is actually half of what it was 30 years ago? I was shocked to discover that uh, not long ago because to watch the news, you'd think the world is just terrible and we're far worse off than we were decades ago. But it's not actually the case. On the other hand, yeah, I mean, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, right? And racism and bigotry are still alive and there's all kinds of social problems and conflict and division and, 
And there's all kinds of problems still in this world. It's still a dangerous place. And and in either of those ways that we tend to look at the world, we're tempted to think, oh, if we just get the right people in power, if we just can install the right programs, we, we can make this like heaven on earth. Or we're tempted to think, ah, you know, nothing's getting better. Everything's horrible, and and we just give in to fear and mistrust and and resentment, and and we hunker down, and we become suspicious. Look, knowing that this world is not our home gives us realistic optimism. We don't panic, but we don't give up either, right? Right? We realize there are limits as to how good this world is going to be, but this is still where we live, and it's the world that God cares about, and he cares that we're at work looking, making making it look more like the home that we're going to live in forever. Because that's what Jesus did in, in his ministry, right? I mean, that's what we do all the time. When our basement gets water in it, we don't just say, well, this isn't our eternal home, so who cares? No, I mean, my wife says, no, get the towels and fix the leak. We're going to clean up the problem and and try and solve what's causing the leak in the first place. When someone's sick, we try to heal them. When something's broken, we try and fix it. When something's disordered, we try and straighten it out. Because it's knowing what the future looks like that empowers us to want to make this world look more like what home is going to be eternally. Knowing our home is in Christ also gives us realism about our, our work, you know, where we invest two-thirds of our lives most days. In this life, work is still going to be cursed with frustration and disappointment and difficulty, but it matters, and, and it's the place where God is shaping our character and where God can use our gifts and our skills and our abilities to bless other people and and to make what we do reflect more of what we will be doing eternally. Because we're still going to be working. We're still going to be creating. We're still going to be bringing blessing and and exercising dominion eternally. That's what our work is now. And, And we're bringing some of what that will look like eternally into how we're working and what we're working and and the way we do our work now. I don't put my hope in my career. It's never going to ultimately satisfy me. But my work, my school, my home becomes the place now where God is working in me to help all of those places look more like what things will be like. And looking to our eternal home makes us more patient with ourselves and with other people. Man, especially at this time of year, right? When it's, oh boy, here comes crazy Uncle Fred or Cousin Nancy, or whoever it is. Man, I don't, oof. can we just not do Christmas with them this year? No, see, we're all going to be broken and messed up until we see Jesus face to face. And that makes us more patient with ourselves, and it makes us more patient with other people. It, it helps us extend the grace to those difficult people, because for somebody, I'm the difficult person that maybe they don't want to spend Christmas with. Yeah, we make progress as the Spirit helps us to look more and more like what we will be eternally. And that changes, in a sense, what our goals are, right? Our goals are not to win. 
to argue, to browbeat someone into agreeing with us, to helping them see how wrong they are, and if only they saw things my way. That's not what I'm going to be eternally, right? What I'm heading for is the work of the Spirit who produces in God's people peace and love and patience and kindness and gentleness and long-suffering. That's what we're heading towards eternally. And so what if that was my goal and what I'm trying to head towards right now in those difficult situations with those frustrating people? You know, at the end of The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy is, of course, transported back to Kansas when she clicks her heels and says, there's no place like home, there's no place like home, there's no place like home. And besides being perhaps the first really bad, it was only a dream ending. It just drives me nuts, right? Like, why did I spend an hour and a half watching that? It was all a dream. It's also unsatisfying because nothing makes any difference. Nothing that she experienced in Oz was real. It has no effect on the world that she ends up in back at the end of the story, right? She's still back in Kansas in the way of adults who don't really have time for her, and Mrs. Miss Gulch is still coming after her dog with the sheriff, right? That what happened in Oz makes no difference in that situation. Dorothy had a wonderful dream where all her troubles melted like lemon drops way above the chimney tops where the bluebirds fly. But nothing from her dream is going to make Kansas more like Oz, because Oz is not real. When she wakes up, it's still just Kansas. No offense, Pastor Tom. (laughs) It's still just Indiana when we wake up. It's still just wherever you live. And what we long for is a real home where everything will be right and a real home that would actually make a difference in how we live and how we experience this world. And that's what we do have. We're citizens of another age, of another place. This this world is not our home, ultimately. And that realization changes how we live. We stop trying to find heaven and earth here on, on all the things that we run after, that grab our attention, that distract us, that capture our hearts. Because our hope, our life, Our faith, our goal is grounded in our eternal home on the other side of the rainbow. And what that does when we really grab hold of it, it frees us to live lives of generosity and love and goodness here. Because I don't have to get this life to be everything for me. There's no place like home. You have a home. Jesus has come to bring us to that home one day and to help us live in a way now that reflects where we're going. As citizens of that home, we live here with joy and love and hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us this blessed hope in Jesus. Oh, help us to see it, to understand it, to hold on to it in a way that would sink down into our hearts and our lives here and now. 
Help us not to fall into fixing our hopes on jobs or relationships or houses or money or health. Oh, help us fix our hope, God, on you and your eternal promise. Thank you that one day we will see you face to face. Help us as your people to live here like citizens of that home and to reflect it in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.